Well, amen to that and good morning. It's good to see you on this holiday weekend. It's, I can't think of any greater place to be than in the, the house of the Lord. So it is good to see you this morning and I am excited about the day we'll have together as we worship and lift up the name of the Lord Jesus through, through music and then as we open up his word together. I'd like to read just a couple of verses from 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And so I hope today that we would prepare our hearts and we would prepare our minds for a morning of worship. So whether you're sitting here with us in person or whether you're sitting in your living room or behind a steering wheel, we are glad you're here and I trust that the Lord has something in store for us. Before we continue on in our worship, I wanted to stop and pause and and pray. So will you just join me as we pray? Father, this morning, we are so grateful that we can gather together. We're thankful that we can sing songs declaring how amazing your grace is. Declaring the freedom that we have in Christ. Songs that lift up the name of the Lord Jesus, reminding us of His greatness, of His power, of His might, of His love. And so this morning, we ask You to help us to prepare our our minds, to prepare our hearts to worship You. That the things that we say and the things that we do would be pleasing to You. And God, I know we come in with a lot of distractions, a lot of things from the world, problems, concerns, cares, and worries. And I pray that as we worship together as we lift up the name of Jesus, that those things would become lesser and your name would become greater. And you would help us to see more of you and your willingness to work in this world. Father, I thank you that you're still in the business of setting captives free. Men and women all over the world, when they hear the good news of who Jesus is and what he does, that you are setting them free. And if you set them free, they are free indeed. Lord, we are well aware that we live in a world full of difficulties, full of problems and challenges. And God, we thank you that you are greater. You're greater than any natural disaster. You're greater than any disease. You're greater than any nation or country. You're greater than any problem or concern. And Lord, when we look around and we see the evil all around us, we thank you that you are greater even than that. And so, Lord, shine your light into the darkness of our hearts. And Lord, shine your light into the darkness of our world. And Lord, help us to see the living Christ exalted and lifted up high this morning as we sing together and as we worship. And Lord, help us to see that we have an advocate. We have one who stands for us and stands with us. That he is resurrected and ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for us. He's praying with us. And we thank you for the comforting presence of your Holy Spirit. And we invite your spirit this morning to to fill our hearts, to fill our lives. That this place during this time, as God's people are gathered together, would be your holy ground. And Lord, you would speak to us and to change us and to do with us what you would. So give us willing hearts to listen and to obey. 
And Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We just join with us as we continue to worship this morning. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? King of love, my shepherd is Whose goodness faileth never And nothing lack if I am his And he is mine forever And he is mine forever
Thine goodness faileth never. Good Shepherd, may I sing your praise in your house forever. In your house forever. Amen. Between us 
How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name to the Your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope.
have a Bible and want to turn to Joshua chapter 5, that would be a great place to help us start preparing for this morning. Speaking of that word, prepare, I want you to think of something right now that for you is the most difficult thing to prepare for. Now, you don't have to say that out loud, and I'm sure we would get a different opinion from different folks, but think about that. The thing that, the thing that you just most dislike getting ready for, the thing that maybe takes you the longest. Or then maybe think about what it takes to get ready on a, on a Sunday morning. You know, sometimes it's difficult enough for one person to get ready, but then, you know, a husband and wife makes it more difficult. And then it seems the larger the family grows, the more and more variables enter the equation and the longer it takes to get out the door and get to where you want to. But that's really just the physical preparation. And think about what it takes to be spiritually prepared, to be, you know, ready to come into a worship service, to come into the presence of the Lord. And, and I think sometimes we're, we're so busy, we're so hurried because our schedules are so tight that when we get ready to slow down and enter into the presence of the Lord, there's kind of this, you know, we settle down and then the kind of the wave comes in behind us. Um, and then we, it takes us a while. To prepare, But I want us to, to start putting our minds around the idea of what it takes to prepare, not just for worship, but to prepare for victory. We've been working through this book of Joshua. We're into chapter 5. And just to give you a brief recap, you know, they've, they've crossed over the Jordan. They're now in the promised land. And today they are going to um, take a step in preparation to get ready for what God has for them, for, the, for really the next step of what God intends for them in the promised land. So if you have your Bible open to Joshua chapter 5, we're going to look and see what preparations God has in mind for His people before they begin to experience the victory in the land. So chapter 5, verse 1 starts with, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeah Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, 
had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, the Lord swore to them that they would not, that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that God circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, They ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. But they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Father, we thank you for the day that you've allowed us to join together. We thank you that in the midst of any circumstance that you make a way for your people to gather together. And so we counted a privilege to be here today in this place. And we're asking that you would prepare our hearts. You would ready us to receive the truth of your word, that they would not be the words of men, that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words spoken to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, that so many times during the week that the soil of our hearts can become crusted over and hard. And Lord, I pray this morning that by your spirit, you would break up the fallow ground, that you would till up the soil of our hearts and you would help us, prepare us, ready us to hear from you. And Lord, that the good seed that is your word would fall on the good soil of ready hearts. Lord, we wait expectantly for you to speak to us. Help us to hear your voice as you speak through your word, by your spirit into our lives. And we ask this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. And so I would propose to you today that in the Christian life, spiritual preparation is essential in order to experience spiritual victory. So there's preparation involved before we can experience victory in the Christian life. And we're going to see that today hopefully, as we look at these verses in chapter 5. But first, let me just set the stage. So they've crossed over the Jordan. They've set up 12 stones in the river and at Gilgal. Gilgal has become their, their base camp, their base of operations. It's also a very holy place, a special place, as we'll see today. And with the crossing of the Jordan, the first section of the book ends. Chapters 1 through 4 are really just preparations to cross and crossing over the Jordan. Chapter 5, through the middle of the book, through about chapter 12, is really taking 
over the land, the conquest of the land, to take possession of what God had intended for them. And so we're going to find out today as we look that there was some work necessary, some preparation before God's people could take possession of the land. That they had to do work before they were ready to secure the victory that God had for them. You see, his people were already in the right place. They were in the promised land. They were established there. And all of southern Canaan was now on alert. Verse 1 tells us that as soon as the Amorites and the Canaanites heard the story of this impossible crossing over of the Jordan, that they were struck with fear. They were afraid. Their hearts melted, the writer describes, and there was no longer any spirit in them. They were deflated. These Amorites and Canaanites, kind of dividing the people into two groups, the people that lived in the mountains, those were the Amorites. The people that lived out on the plain, down by the coast, those were the Canaanites. And remember, these kings aren't like the king of a, of a mighty empire. They're, they're these local leaders of these city-states. And so there would be many small kings in these small sub-kingdoms all around the land of Canaan. And so they're in the land, the people are afraid, and by human standards, this would have been the perfect time to press on, to move ahead, and to take the victory. They had the momentum of crossing over the Jordan. The enemies were afraid, and in the eyes of anybody from a worldly perspective, that was the right time. But God had a different perspective. God looked at things very differently. Because it was, remember, it was God's victory. It was His power at work. That everything they had achieved all along the way was in His strength or by His hand. And if everything went according to God's plan, the people would experience victory. They would have success. But if God's people went out on their own and tried to do their own thing, they would experience defeat in life. So in a sense, it was God's way or there would be no way. If they didn't follow God's ways, they would not make progress. Even if it didn't make sense. Even if it was an unconventional means. Even if it went against all of humans, human reason. If it wasn't God's plan, it was not going to succeed. And I think the same thing is true today. That we need to make sure we look in our lives to see things out of God's perspective. That when we are assessing a situation, we seek God and say, God, what is your mind about this and trust me he does have an opinion if we're willing to listen we need to know god's ways we need to know how god operates what god does we need to always remember what exodus tells us that he's gracious and he's compassionate that he's slow to anger and he's rich in faithful love a great reminder that god is working for us on our behalf that god's not working against us if we're seeking after him And we need to remember what Paul told the Corinthians, that it's only Jesus that gives us the victory, that we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we today in 2020 want to experience a victorious life, then we need to be prepared. We need to be set apart and ready for God to use. We need to be in the right place with the right heart at the right time. 
You see, Israel was in the land. They were in the right place, the place God intended them to be. But now there were some preparations that needed to be done. They needed to wait for his proper timing before they would continue on in their conquest. And so I really have a simple outline that they're all, um, they all start with the letter C, I think. So the first thing is that there needed to be a time of consecration. You really see it in verses 2 through 9. And the main word you're going to see over and over again in those verses is circumcision. You're going to see circumcision, circumcision, uncircumcision, uncircumcision. If you read those verses, there's no doubt that you would understand what the main topic is. Um, If you said anything other than circumcision, you would be wrong. So if you remember back in chapter 2, God tells Joshua to prepare the people to consecrate yourself because they were about to see God do something amazing. And that word consecration is just to prepare, to make special preparations for God to lead them in a special way. That word sanctified means to be set apart or separate from something. In this case, it meant to be set apart to do the Lord's work for his purpose. Because all the way back to Abraham, God had set aside a people for him, a people of his own choosing. And it would be Abraham and all of his descendants. And when he made that covenant with Abraham, he gave a sign of that covenant. The sign of circumcision that would be for Abraham and for all Jewish males to follow. That removal of the foreskin that would be the sign of the covenant. And so God gives Joshua instructions to prepare the people, to consecrate them, to circumcise them. Look at verse 2. Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Now, it's clear as you read these verses that when it says a second time, it's not talking about re-circumcising people that had already been circumcised, but it's A second time, meaning a new generation was coming that was in need of circumcision. Now, I can imagine if Joshua heard these in his human military mind, he was probably thinking, what in the world are we doing now? Right now is the time for us to move forward and attack. We've got the Jordan River behind us to protect us. Our enemies are in front of us and they're afraid. And victory would be certain. We would just show up and they would probably just surrender to us. But God knew they weren't ready. God knew they needed something else. You see, it's clear as you read these verses, and it says it over and over again different ways, that the generation that came out of Egypt in the Exodus, they were were circumcised. They were the last generation to be circumcised. That they had the mark of the covenant that was given to Abraham that was told about in the law of Moses that had been carried on for generation after generation. This generation that came out of Egypt was the last generation for 40 years to have that mark of the covenant, that reminder of God's promises. And God te- and the word tells us, verse 6 tells us that this generation, the previous generation, wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's very clear to let us know that they perished, they died, they came to an end because they did not 
obey the voice of the Lord. They didn't enter into the land that God had promised them. Because they had failed to keep up their end of the covenant. And as a result, they didn't inherit God's promises. And for 40 years, while they wander in the wilderness, no male that was born was circumcised. And as one writer said, our unbelief may forfeit the benefit of God's promises, but it can never negate the promise. You see, those that wandered didn't enjoy the benefits, but the promise was still there. But God in His grace chose to raise up their children in their place to inherit this promise that it would be fulfilled, but it would be in another generation. And that these men and women, these children would be the ones that would walk into and enjoy the land that's described as flowing with milk and honey, full of abundant provisions. And so 40 years after that generation walked out of Egypt and crossed over the Red Sea, their children are standing in the land. Even still today, it is a great dream. It is a great joy of every Jewish person to be in the land of Israel and more importantly, to be able to celebrate a Passover in Jerusalem to the point that Jews around the world will say when they celebrate Passover next year in Jerusalem. And here God's people are in the land. Inheriting the promise made long ago to their father Abraham. But they weren't circumcised. They didn't have the mark of the covenant. And verse 5 tells us that all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness, after they had come out of Egypt, had not been circumcised. See, this previous generation was circumcised, but they didn't listen to God. And they were cut off from the promised land. The current generation, they had listened and obeyed God at least this far along. They had entered into the promised land, but they didn't have the sign of the covenant. And so God gives these instructions to Joshua to make flint knives and to circumcise the males. Now, when you read this, it sounds like the instructions are just to Joshua, but surely... It would not have been Joshua's responsibility to circumcise every male, as there may have been up to two million people. But I'm sure that information was passed on to others that made flint knives, and they went about this process of circumcising the males, a sign to all the world that they were separated to the Lord, that they were joined together with God in a covenant. And it was an outward symbol of what should have been the case in their very hearts. You see, there was an external act of circumcision that should have been a sign of what was going on on the inside. A work of the heart. Remember this, God always works from the inside out. God transforms our hearts and then it transforms our actions. Our actions don't transform our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6 reminds us of this. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. 
So this external procedure is a symbol of an internal heart surgery. Now, I've never had heart surgery, but I know several folks that have, and in many cases it is life-saving, life-changing procedure. But God talks about in His Word here in Deuteronomy, here in the, in the prophet Jeremiah and in the other prophets in the New Testament about a heart surgery that would not just do heart repair, but would do heart replacement. Take away a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. That there would be a cutting away of ourself, the cutting away of sin, and it would be replaced with a desire to walk in God's ways, to trust Him, to pursue holiness, to walk a life of purity, to be set apart for God and His ways. And so God knew that victory would only come to His people if they were committed to Him and walking in obedience. And so these Israelite men on that day at Gilgal were circumcised, set apart for God. And verse 8 tells us that they remained in the camp until they healed. So their men were temporarily disabled. And think about this, again, from a human perspective, they're only a small distance from Jericho. And now they're very vulnerable to attack because their men are not battle-worthy. And so they had to trust in God because it was not going to be by their might, by their ability, but it was by God's provision that they would see victory. But look at verse 9 as we think about this circumcision. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. The reproach, that guilt, that shame of the past, rolled away, done away with, eliminated. Think about when you're finished with something that you don't need anymore, a paper towel or something. You just roll it up and you throw it away and you don't see it again. Here's the picture. The slavery and the suffering that they had experienced in Egypt. The shame of the disobedience of their ancestors at Kadesh Barnea were removed and rolled away. Oh, like the great hymn, the burden of my heart rolled away. It's a wonderful feeling to know that our sin is forgiven and that we can be free and that we can be washed clean and made new by the blood of Jesus. I used to enjoy listening, and I don't even know if he's on the radio anymore, but in the mornings it would be early to, um, to Woodrow Kroll. Do you remember he, he was on, had back to the, the Bible, and he just taught the Bible in such a plain-mannered way, full of truth, but just with gentleness. And he'd come on early on KCBI, and I would listen to him in the mornings, just catch the end of it while I was getting ready to go to school at UTA. And listen to what he says. Circumcision is no longer a sign of the covenant relationship with God. We don't practice Circumcision today is a sign of being in the covenant with God. Because when Jesus died on the cross, the outward sign of circumcision was replaced with the inner presence of the Holy Spirit. So in the new covenant, in the New Testament, by the blood of Jesus, physical circumcision is not a requirement. 
Paul runs into this many times when he writes the letters because there were those Judaizers that were coming saying, oh no, if you want to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised first. But no, the the New Testament talks about this inward circumcision of the heart. That it really is a heart matter. Romans 2 tells us it's by the Spirit, it's not by the law. And Colossians 2 tells us that it's that putting off of the flesh, that sinful nature. It's not by human hands, it's performed by by Christ himself, that the old self is crucified, nailed to the cross, and because of that we're able to walk a new life in Christ. That victorious living is possible because of the work of the cross, that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, made possible the ability for us to walk in freedom, that we can be forgiven forever of our sin and that our old life can be rolled away and we can become new creations in Christ. Second Corinthians five seventeen, And that's a reminder that we, we need today that in, in Christ, the burden of our past is rolled away. The shame of our past is rolled away and we can walk new lives in victory. No longer bound by that Shame, but looking to the victory of the cross. Now back to our our story. When Joshua and the people circumcised all these males, it was out of obedience to God. It was a sign of their commitment. It was an act of faith that required trust and dependence. And it also prepared them to celebrate the Passover. You see, God had told Moses back in Exodus chapter 13, that Passover, that in order to celebrate Passover, it was essential that all males be circumcised. So only circumcised males could celebrate Passover. And so the males had to go through this procedure before they could celebrate the greatest festival of all their Jewish faith. And so now they're ready for the second thing, for celebration. It's in verse 10. There's a whole lot packed in that one verse. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. That one verse summarizes a very significant event. The 14th day of the month, according to God's word, the day on which the Passover was to be celebrated. God's people in God's place by his blessing in the promised land there on the plains of Jericho kept the Passover. They remembered what God had done in the past, his redemption out of Egypt where they painted the doorpost and the angel of death passed over. And in the prior 40 years, the whole of the nation of Israel had only celebrated two Passovers. And now, 40 years later, they celebrate. You see, back in Exodus, the Passover came right before they crossed the Red Sea. But in Joshua, we see that the Passover comes after they cross the Jordan. So it's kind of reversed, but it parallels to... Help us to see 
that in Joshua there's this connection between God's work through this man Moses as a leader and God's work through Joshua as a leader. But both times they celebrated this deliverance that God provided. That he had set people free, his people free, that he had made a provision for them. And so it gave them a moment to look back. To remember what God had done in the past. But also it pointed them forward to what God would do for them in the future. That there would be more enemies to face. There would be more victories to win. That they would, if they were faithful, defeat the Canaanites and possess the land. Oh, but today, when we think about Passover, it points even further to the future. Because we know, because John wrote, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians that Jesus was our Passover Lamb. And that He died on a cross. He shed His blood. He suffered. He died so that those that place their trust in Him as Lord and Savior would have eternal and abundant life. And when we celebrate today the Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted, celebrated during Passover with His disciples, we look back and we see what Jesus did for us on the cross. We remember now the thank, and, and we're thankful for what He's done for us today. And we look forward to the day that He will come again and His redemption will be final by His sacrifice. See, in Jesus, we have assurance of future victory because of His victory in the past. Any progress we make in the faith, any victory that we Enjoy is only because of what He has done for us. Because He is the one that conquered sin and death and hell. And in Him we are more than conquerors. Now I know if you're like me, some days you don't wake up very much feeling like a conqueror. You may not wake up feeling very victorious. Maybe your great victory of the day was simply rolling out of bed and getting to the bathroom and brushing your teeth to get started. But when we look at what Jesus has done for us, when we look at God's faithfulness in the past, we have an excitement that we can say along with Paul, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A victory that He won at the cross. A victory that lets us fight the daily battles of the world against our flesh, against the attacks of the devil. Those attacks that the enemy brings into our lives that that tries to discourage us and to destroy us. Those sinful desires that we battle with on a daily basis. The struggle we have with the enticements of the world. Those things that look good, that feel good, that taste good, that are there dangling before us that without the help of the Lord, we'd have no way to refuse. And so when we look back, this first Passover in the Promised Land was a time of celebration. We're here. We're in the land. It's a time of anticipation. Look what God has for us. We have conquest ahead of us. They would remember what God had done. They would look forward to what would come in the future. And it marked the new, a new beginning A new era was coming for His people. 
They were in the land. They were circumcised. They celebrated the Passover. And in verses 10 through 12, we see that they begin to enjoy the fruit of the land. And the last thing is just confirmation. Don't you love it when you receive confirmation? Whether you're doing bill pay online and you click, you know, you're going to pay a bill and you get confirmation that it's paid. You know, you're like, that's good. Um, You get confirmation that your order was received. You get confirmation that your family members have arrived safely when they're on a destination. But even more sweet, isn't it wonderful to get confirmation from the Lord when you're seeking Him? That His promises are true, that He is faithful, that He won't leave you all alone, that He does what He says He does. So as soon as God's people are in God's place, they're in the land, there was an adequate supply of what they would need. Now for 40 years, they had wandered in the wilderness and God had provided manna. And this manna is replaced with unleavened cakes and parched grain. Traditional after the feast of Passover that they would enter into these days or feasts of unleavened bread. So eating unleavened cakes was not uncommon, but it was also a very quick meal to prepare along with parched grain, which would just be to take some grain and roast it over a fire. And so they have these first fruits of the promised land in these quickly prepared meals to be a sample of what they would soon enjoy. Because the verses 11 and 12 tells us, and the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. The day after Passover. The day that they ate from the land. The day after the manna ceased. I think it's interesting that there's an overlap there showing that God's provision is complete and total. So they enjoy the cakes and then the very next day after they've enjoyed them, the manna stopped. No more manna. They'd enjoyed it while they wandered. Do you remember? God's people are murmuring and complaining. God's left us here to die in the wilderness. We'd be better off back in Egypt. There's mutiny among the people. And what does God do? He provides manna, quail. For 40 years that manna came and they never had to worry. It was there every single day for them. It was an extraordinary provision. Now, you know, I would imagine, you know, that manna would probably taste something like, you know, some kind of sweetened children, some kind of sweetened children's cereal, but probably a lot better, I mean, depending on what you you like. But I think I like sweetened Rice Krispies or something like that would be a consistency. But they had it every single day without worry, and it just was there on the ground, and they could pick it up and get what they needed. And now this extraordinary, miraculous provision is replaced by something very ordinary, just the production of nature. 
farming, the good of the land. But we can see that God always provides. Whether it's the extraordinary provision of all of a sudden God just spontaneously providing something to meet a need, or it's the day-to-day working and toiling that we do to earn a paycheck, to buy groceries, to put food on the table, God always provides. And whether it's manna from heaven or crops grown from the ground, there's miracles in both because it's gifts from God. And there's a challenge in our day and in their day too to not take God for granted in those ordinary things of life. That our thankfulness needs to be as rooted in God's provision of things that we would consider common as it does in the things that we see as miraculous. But there's also another lesson that we see in this manna, that God gave that manna to them to teach them a lesson. If you have your your Bible or you can look on the screen, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Listen to what God says concerning this manna. And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And then listen to this. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What was the lesson? It was dependence, wasn't it? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from God's mouth. You see, life and victory would depend on God's people trusting in their Lord. And in our day, life and victory depend on trusting in Jesus and the truth of God's Word. Remember, Jesus used this when He was tempted by the devil. He was hungry and in the wilderness. And He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every Word that comes from the mouth of God. But then, oh, Jesus lived it out in his life, didn't he? Perfect dependence on the Father. John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It's dependence. Oh, but we go a step further. We find that Jesus says of himself, I am the bread of life. In Him, in Jesus, today we have everything that we need. And we have great need to depend on Him every moment of every day. You see, victory was for the Israelites depended on God. And our victory today, in in this present day, in 2020 relies on being dependent on Jesus. can never, ever do it by ourselves. We can't trust in anything or anyone else. And as one man said, God was saying to His people, you've crossed the river. You're in your inheritance, but don't look back and desire those things of Egypt or the things of the wilderness, but let God feed you. And satisfy you with the harvest of his inheritance. 
You see, when we let God lead, when we follow His direction, when we're prepared, when we depend on Him, He can lead us and will lead us to victory. See, in the Christian life, for following God by faith in Jesus, there are spiritual preparations that are essential if you want to experience victory. You see, it could have been very possible in those days for an Israelite to experience the Exodus. They could be present. They could walk across the the dry land of the Red Sea. They could wander around in the wilderness, eat the manna that was there, bear the mark of God's people, but lack a real relationship with the shepherd to fall short of what God had intended. To have the mark of circumcision but still have an uncircumcised heart. To wander in the wilderness and perish and not inherit the promises of God. And it's just as possible today for a man or for a woman to experience the goodness of God, to experience His redemption, His deliverance, to enjoy the blessings, to feast on the spiritual manna that He provides. Maybe be baptized. Church member. Church attender. Bible carrier. And by every external look like a committed Christian. But just like those people lack a real committed relationship with the Good Shepherd. To live a life that falls well short of what God intends and to live a life of defeat. To not walk in victory. To have all the external markings of a Christian but lack the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's not God's plan. Jesus died so that we could come out of the wilderness and live in the land of promise. But I know that can describe many of us today that you're in the land, you're in the land of promise, but your mind and your attitude, it's still like you're living in the wilderness. You're wandering and you're wondering, what am I doing here? What does God want? Wondering if He really is real, if He really does all the things that the Bible says He is. You're living in disobedience. You know what you do to do. You just really don't choose to do it. You're distanced from God. You uh, see your Bible, but you're not really interested in opening it up because you know if you open it up that you're going to be confronted with the living Word and you're going to be in, in a communication with the living God. You're reluctant to pray because you're just distancing from God. You live in an unhappy and defeated life, trying to fill the void with so many other things. Here's the truth. Jesus died so that we could experience victory. Jesus died so you could experience victory. 
And to experience that victory is to, to know the power of the cross in every part of your life. It starts with trust in the victory of the cross. Belief that Jesus is who the Bible says He is. That Jesus, the one who is our Passover lamb, gave His life so that you and I could live. That through faith in Him, our sinful flesh is crucified. It's nailed to the cross. That our hearts have been circumcised. And that we have opportunity to share in the victory of Christ and experience all the blessings of His provision. We have the opportunity to live in hope. We have the opportunity to live in victory. The opportunity to live for Him. And I'll close with a benediction from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Will you pray with me? Father, as we sang earlier, Jesus and Jesus alone is our living hope. And we ask, as your word says, that you, the God of all hope, would fill us with joy and peace that comes through believing faith in the Lord Jesus. And that we would experience the power of your spirit and that we would abound, overflow, overrun with hope. That we would experience your victory. And I pray right now for, for men and, and women that feel like in their life they're just wandering in the wilderness. That they're, they feel purposeless. They feel distanced. They feel unhappy. They feel defeated. She would make very real to them this morning the truth that Jesus died for them to experience victory. And that you want to do work in our lives to prepare us for that victory. God, we all wander. We all stray. And we need to be reminded that we can experience victory. That yesterday's defeats don't have to, to mark our today or affect our future, but yesterday's defeats can be replaced by tomorrow's successes and victories as we yield ourselves to you. So, Lord, I pray you would take us in our hearts and in our minds to the foot of your cross to realize that you desire to give your people victory today. That we can live in hope. We can live in victory. That we can live for you. So God, consecrate us. Set us apart. Help us to celebrate the victory of the, the cross in our lives. And help us to remember the provisions you've made. Jesus, you are the bread of life. 
We thank you, O oh God, for the truth of your word and the privilege to proclaim it and to listen. And we ask now that you would do your work by your spirit in our hearts. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to take a moment to sing a song together. It gives us opportunity to respond to the Lord in the way that he is he's leading you. And that can be through quiet meditation in your in your place. It can be through prayer. It can be by coming to the altar. It can be by simply singing along. Um, it could be an intercessor interceding for others, praying for those in this room or those not in this room, asking largely of God to do great things and move and provide victory and deliverance. Um, could be in taking that initial step of walking in faith with Jesus and trusting Him for the first time, of just turning from sin and turning toward Jesus. And so I ask you to join us as we stand together and as we sing these words that you just let the Lord speak to your heart and you would respond to him. So will you stand with me and let's sing together. prayer to, to leave this place with, that, that we would truly learn to surrender more and more of our lives over to the Lord Jesus, because it's when we surrender to Him that we experience the victory, the deliverance that He wants um, to provide. I'm glad you were able to, to join us today. Um, it's been a blessing to, to worship and to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus together. Um, I pray blessings on you and your your family, as you enjoy the, the rest of this day that looks like it's going to be very beautiful outside. And if you do have the privilege of being off tomorrow, whether it's from work or school, um, that you'll enjoy in, in some measure a day of, of rest, a day of um, just being with, with family, enjoying the company of one another. And we do look forward to the time that we, we gather again in, in this place. So, um, again, it's been a blessing to worship with you. I pray the Lord's blessings on you. We're going to sing um, a song. To, um, to end our service and as we begin to sing, you're free to go. So let's sing together. This is amazing grace. 